Well, great. If you could please turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. If you're just joining us this week, you're joining us in the midst of going through a series on Ephesians. It's going to take us about 26 weeks. I have no idea where we're at. About week 14, I think, somewhere like that. But we are just having a great time in what is a fantastic book written by the Apostle Paul. Today we're going to be reading chapter 4 from verse 17 through to the end of verse 24. If you'd like a title, if you're making notes, which I would really encourage you to do if you can, the title is Attending the Divine Changing Room. And let's read this together. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. In the futility of their minds, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learn Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Let's pray. Lord, your word is sharper than a double-edged sword, and I pray that it would graciously and gently pierce us today. Lord, would you open our eyes to behold the wonders of your word, to see you, to see your son, to see ourselves. Lord, as we gather around your word, one thing's for sure, you love us. You are passionate about us and you care for us, not only in the big things in life, but in every detail. Your fingerprints of grace are over every different room in our lives. And so, Lord, would we see that today? And would we be amazed today at your gracious care towards us? In Jesus' name, amen. There are many things in life that are preference issues. And in my life, due to the fact of preference, there are many things that I really, really don't like. Take vegetables, for example. They are horrendous. Now, in the Garden of Eden, when the curse came on the land... Most people call them weeds. Some people decided to call that vegetables. And that's what you guys are eating. And I just think they're wrong. They are just nasty pieces of green that when they touch the lip, you want to vomit. They should just be banned from all things. I I don't really like fruit either, but I am partial to the occasional skittle or something of that nature because they can be quite nice, but they do have real juice in it, so I'm sure that's better. But vegetables, definitely not a big fan. Dentists. Oh, they are wrong, aren't they? They are so horrendously wrong. They, you see them smiling as they come at you with the drill and then the bill. It's just horrendous. It's just an absolutely horrible experience. And I hate, with a passion, going to the dentist because it's just sick and wrong. Spiders. Oh, they're nasty little creatures, aren't they? Last night, Emma and I were at a party and we, we sat over in the corner and then by my foot was the biggest spider. I mean, it was like a dog down there. There was this thing... It was like, it wasn't massive, it was massive. At which point Emma is like climbing all over Katie as she makes a run for it. And I'm just there having to brave the spider. And I'm thinking, man up, son, man up, son. Because, you know, I am 
hard. And so I got the boot and put it down there. But it was horrible. My heart's going like this. And I'm like, it's just a horrible experience as you see this spider and you give it a crush. But my ultimate nightmare, the thing that I really struggle with in life, um, and I'm sure many of the brothers would agree, is clothes shopping. Oh, that's horrendous. That is absolutely horrendous. Clothes shopping. There's only one thing worse than clothes shopping. Clothes shopping with your wife. That is absolutely horrendous. I mean, even the thought of that makes me feel slightly sick. And, and usually when we go clothes shopping, my wife is very good. She limits herself to no more than 15 pieces of clothing into each changing room. So that, that really helps. And, and, but even as we walk towards the changing room, I feel physically ill. There's something going on. You just think, oh, please, Jesus, is there any way? How long, oh, Lord, do we have? And, and even while she's changing into the different clothes, I can't cope with it. Even as she's changing, I just think, oh, this is awful. This is taking so long. And I check my watch, and I, it feels like hours have gone by, and it's actually just a minute and a half. But it just feels so long. While you wait for the changing rooms, I really, really don't like attending changing rooms. Well, whether we like it or not, this morning we're all going to be attending a changing room. Because that is the very thing that the Apostle Paul is on about here. And every single individual in this room, whether we like it or not, is being called by Paul to attend the divine changing room. You see, today we're going to be talking about change, the process of change. In particular, the whole issue of how do I change? Now, maybe you hear that this morning, and maybe you're really excited about it. That is just fantastic. Dave's going to be preaching on change. That's just so good, because my husband's with me today, and he really needs to change, and I'm so thrilled that he's with me. Or maybe you're excited because you think, oh, thank goodness, is my life group leader in the room? Oh, he is. Give him a little wave, and thank goodness he's here, because he really needs to change. And there can be a temptation... In all our lives, when we come to the issue of change, to get excited about it because of somebody else being in the room. Or maybe even now, as I mentioned change, you think, oh, lovely, I hope this one's recorded. I'll be able to send it to them in the post. That's not what the issue is today. The issue is my change and your change individually. See, Paul is addressing us as a local church, but indeed, he's addressing us as individuals. Individuals in need of change. And if you want to know then what this text is about, what his big idea, what the thing is that he's going to drive into us in this, it's this. Our old clothes are the world's clothes. And so let's be putting on the new. Our old clothes are the world's clothes. And so let's be putting on the new. That's the real message behind this text. And what a story it has been thus far in Ephesians to get to this text. In chapters 1 through 3, Paul has been examining the glories of what it means to be a Christian, the glories of what it means to be saved, to know that you've been chosen before the very foundation of the world, to know that in Christ you've been forgiven of your sins, removed as far as the east is from the west, to know that you've been redeemed, paid for in full by Jesus Christ, to know that you've been justified, that as God the Father looks at you, He looks at you clothed in the righteousness of his son and therefore sees you as perfect and he adopts you accordingly. A people who were once God's enemies, now seated at his table in a position where he cares for us in grace and mercy and love. 
He even seals us with the Holy Spirit, guaranteeing our inheritance as an absolute guarantee that you are going to make it. Do we believe in perseverance of the saints in Sovereign Grace Church? Do we believe the once saved, always saved? You bet your life we do, because that's what the Bible teaches. Without doubt, He holds us. Oh, wondrous love that will not let me go. I cling to you with all my strength and soul. And if my hold should ever fail, your wondrous love will never let me go. He holds us. And all the way, the first, the, first, the first three chapters of Ephesians, Paul has been reminding us of that and explaining to us about the glories of salvation. God not only reconciling us to him, but reconciling us to one another in the context of family. A new body, a new temple, a new race, taking people from all tribes and languages and backgrounds and nationalities and likes and dislikes and preferences and sticking us together as bodies in the context of the local church. In chapter 4 then, Paul takes the time to explain to us, listen, having been saved in that way, you need to live a life then worthy of the core. In the first three chapters, he spent time talking about position. Now he's talking about the way we respond to that position. To live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Live as believers. You have the badge of salvation on your heart, so now live proud of it. Live aware of it and live according to that which God in his grace has declared you as saved individuals. Now later on in this passage, from verse 25 onwards, Paul is going to be getting very specific with us about what that means. And so if you think the last few weeks have been bad... Hold your breath for next week and there on after because Paul starts to get very specific and say, well, listen, if you're Christians, this is the way that you need to live in the context of your sexuality, in the context of the way you speak, the context of the way you behave, the context of the way you talk to one another and care for one another. There are certain things that should mark you as saved individuals. And he's going to take his time from verse 25 really to the end of chapter 6 to really spell those things out for us and take us through it. But in this text that we have before us today, before these these more specifics, he spends time talking to us about the process of change, the divine changing room. And he wants to help us see how this works. See, if you're like me, even over the last few weeks, and you look at humility and patience and forbearing with one another, and you think, it sounds great on a Sunday morning, but then in the week you think, oh, oh, this is, quite hard. Anybody else felt that? Good. I was pleased it wasn't just me. It's hard. And so you realize straight off, Lord, you've declared me righteous, but I'm not righteous and I need need help. I need to change. I need to become the man that you've called me to be in the context of the local church. And you can wonder then, well, how do I change? Paul tells us how to change. And that's what we have here in this text. In verse 18 through 19, Paul really gives us a backdrop. He gives us a fly past, if you will, of the world and the world's ways. He says this in verse 18 and 19. He says, They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, due to the hardness of their heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Now let's be clear, Paul is not talking about specific individuals here. I know unbelievers that in their character would put me to shame. And so God in common grace gives people gifts and strengths in their lives. And I've seen great character 
in unbelievers. Paul isn't talking about specifics, saying everybody is greedy, everybody is impatient. But what he is doing is saying, but generally, as you look out at the world, it ain't good. And as you look out at the world, generally speaking, this is what it looks like. People are hardened in their hearts. They're not willingly bowing the knee and saying, I just want to follow Jesus and live for the glory of God. They're hardened in their hearts. They're also ignorant in their minds, rejecting God, having hardened their hearts to it, and having ongoingly become calloused in their hearts, cut off more and more from God in their sin. Their minds are ignorant, and then their behavior runs out as antichrist. It runs out against God. It's a desire not to live for the Lord. And that's what you see in our world. And if you don't believe me, go home buy the paper, and read it. And consider this. Are these different things I'm reading about for the glory of God? No. Just this week, Emma was telling me about an article in the, was it the Sydney Morning Herald? And just how this dad had been driving along with his four-year-old daughter and his six-year-old son and had decided that he was going to get out the car, over the bridge, throw his four-year-old daughter off the bridge, into the water, get back in the car, at which point the six-year-old is crying, saying, Dad, we've got to go back for her. She can't swim. And off he drives, and the girl drowns. And you think, how does that, how does that happen? How do we live in a world and live in a city where such gross and horrendous things take place? But when you stop and think about it, that anti-God behavior is not only in the big things. It's in lots of things. It's in the way the world views sexuality now. Everything is just to be tolerated. Nobody has any right to say anything about anything. Well, hang on. God appears to say quite a lot about that. Nobody appears to have any right to comment on the way people speak. But actually, God seems to have quite a right because he made us. You read the paper and there's things being applauded and ways of life and values and functionalities and behaviors. And people are saying, that's just fantastic. But when you stop and think about it, you think, That's not fantastic. That's wrong. That's against the Lord. That's against who he is and what he's about. And so Paul in verses 18 through 19 is is painting that backdrop for us and saying, listen, just wisen up a moment. It's not pretty out there. It's not good. Folks aren't living generally for the glory of God. They're doing something quite other. And what you're seeing then is people hardening their hearts, ignorant for it, becoming increasingly calloused. And because they're increasingly calloused, pushing the boat out more and more and more in their sin for moments of sensuality. It's not pretty. And in verse 20 then, he addresses us and he simply says this, you know what, for you as Christians, this isn't the way you're meant to be. He says this in verse 20, but that is not the way you learned Christ. Having given a backdrop of the world, he's now looking at the church in their eyes and saying, but this isn't you. This isn't the way you learned Christ. You are called by God to be different. You see, you'll notice in the English there in verse 20, there's an exclamation mark. Now, you could go to Moore College or any other college and you'll find that there is no exclamation mark in the Greek. (laughs) It doesn't actually exist. So how did the guy get that? Well, he got it because of the way the Greek was structured. And so they're trying to help us translate in the English to explain to us the strength of what Paul's saying here, the clarity and the power with which he is looking this Ephesian church in the eye and explaining things to them. You see, what he is doing, that sentence in one word is this. No! 
That's what he's doing. He's saying, listen, this is how they behave. This is how the world goes. But no, not you. This is not who you are. You're new creations in Christ. You're called by God's grace to be different. You've been saved. You wear the badge of salvation. They behave like this, but you are not called to be this. You're the body of Christ. You've been saved by his grace and now seek to reflect him in communities. The very angels are looking on in the heavenly realms to see the wisdom of God. So as you look at their behavior, no, don't let it be like that here. That's what he's saying. That's how he's trying to communicate to these people whom he loves so sensitively and so carefully. You have been crucified with Christ. And now in Christ, you are new creations. So live it. Live it. Let them see something different in the church to what is out there. Let them see something profoundly different in your lives to what they're seeing in the world. He is calling us to task here and saying, this should not be you. This is not how you learn Christ. This is not how you learned the gospel. This is not how you saw Jesus behave. This is not how you've seen Jesus exhibit his life. You're called to be different. You're Christians. And so you're called to be Jesus in our world. Not that we're perfect. And not that we don't still struggle with sin. Who amongst us doesn't struggle with sin? Because I know I do. And so the answer isn't go underground and therefore pretend, oh, we're called to be perfect. Let's pretend I am. No, that's a joke. We're not perfect, and we do struggle with sin. But nonetheless, Paul is calling us to task and saying, listen, even though you struggle with sin, and even though you do battle with sin, you must strive to be different. You must be different. Because this isn't how you learn Christ. You didn't learn Christ in the hardness of heart and in the ignorance in the mind and continue to giving over yourselves to sensuality. You learned Christ in the gospel to be different. And so we need, by God's grace, to be different. And so I thank God for the next few verses, from verses 22 through 24, because in these verses, Paul gives us a very clear guideline as to how to change. He calls us to attend the divine changing room. And there's really five things that I want to draw out of this about the process of change that I trust will help us, and I trust will help me too. So number one, Change is a process that requires effort. Change is a process that requires effort. You see, the process of becoming more and more like Jesus Christ in his holiness and in his perfections, the process of becoming more like him in our attitudes, in our behaviors, in our speaking, is best known by the word sanctification. And so you may have come across it in your lives. I'm sure you have. And people have said, oh, I'm pursuing sanctification. And we often look back and say, oh, that's lovely. I have no idea what you mean. That, that's what they mean. They're, they're going through the process of becoming more and more like Christ. They want to pursue him, and they're aware that that's a, a process. And there's one thing we need to know about that process. It, it requires effort, and it requires your effort, my effort, as individuals in our lives to change. Often you hear slogans, and I've heard loads in my time, but two I was mindful of this week was, um, well, you just got to, and it comes to the process of change, you just got to let go and let God Oh, I like that. you just got to let go and let... Oh, that sounds quite nice. Or you've just got to let go and let Jesus himself live his life through you. That's even better. That's and, and the good thing about them, the really good thing about them, is it just sounds so nice. 
It sounds lovely. Let go and let God. Oh, don't mind if I do. The problem with it is it's heresy. They're not true. You know, it's just they're not true terms. They're they're very nice, and I think they're even well-meaning. But they're actually completely heretical because it doesn't work like that. In sanctification, we don't let go and let God. We have to supply effort in our lives to bring about that change because this is a process that without question God is involved in and we need him without question in it. Without God in this process, there is no change. But without your effort, there's no change. He's in there with us, but we too have a part to play. You see, grace, listen, grace is not opposed to effort. We must understand that. Grace is opposed to earning, but it's not opposed to effort. You see, if we are going through the process of change, thinking depending on how well I change, God will either love me more or like me more or accept me more, depending on how I change, that's earning. You think you are going to earn your way into salvation. You think that through your behavior, God is saying, way to go, and I just love you more because of the way you do that. No. God loves you and sings over you and accepts you because of the perfect work of Jesus Christ alone. It is done. Our change does not play any part in the process of earning our salvation. If it does, then the cross was not enough for you. Simply. If you have to add to it, Jesus wasn't enough. It isn't by grace alone through faith alone. It's by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone plus my change. That's not true. And so where we become aware aware of that in our lives, we have to take all our good works and our bad and we throw them again at the foot of the cross and we lie prostrate on the ground and repent. Because Jesus Christ has paid it in full in our place. Jesus Christ has earned our salvations. But grace is not opposed then to effort. They don't cancel one another about our attitudes and actions They're never going to earn our salvation, but as I've said before, they do exhibit it. They're never going to merit it, but they do mark it. They're never going to deserve it, but they do display it. We've been called to live a manner worthy of the gospel. We've been called to live out our lives for the glory of God now. We're never going to earn our salvations, but they do exhibit that Jesus Christ is our King and our Savior and that we're walking with Him for the rest of our days. And that's what we're called to do. Our effort is not opposed to grace. That's why Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4 verse 7, train yourself for the purpose of godliness. In the next uh, book to this in Philippians 2, he says, work out your salvation. Well, hang on a minute, how can I work it out if Jesus has done it? He's talking about sanctification. He's talking about, listen, become the man and become the woman that God has declared you to be in Jesus Christ. That's a process. And that's a process that God is with us in, but we also, in grace-motivated effort, have a part to play in it. So, as we attend the the divine changing room, it's very important to realize right up front that this is going to require effort. Maybe you're a Christian and for some years, you look back on your life and you say, I've just not changed. I've just not changed. God sucks. I haven't changed. And maybe you suck. Maybe you haven't done anything. Maybe you haven't played your part for the glory of God. Maybe you're just waiting for something to happen, as if he's like a gypsy, or not a gypsy, a genie, a gypsy. That would be strange. That's awkward. A genie. 
As if we, if we rub, the, rub the magic lamp and then God comes out the lamp and then boom, we change. It doesn't work like that. We have a part to play in change. So number one, change is a process. Number two, change requires the putting off of our old self. That's what it says in verse 22. It says, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. To put off your old self. We're required and called by God to do that. I mean, imagine the scene. Imagine the scene that Paul is painting for us here. You have stood in the queue with me, awaiting to attend the divine changing room. And so we're in the queue, we're chatting, we're having a good laugh because we're, we're in a local church, we think, oh, life's really good. And so we spend time in the queue, and we come across a sign in the queue that reminds us just before we enter that, just to be aware, all change is going to require effort. And you think, oh, that's a helpful reminder just before I get into the room. So good, it's going to require my effort. Well, that's good, okay. So I don't just stand in the room and hold out my arms and something magical happens. I've got to actually do something about this. So we move forward in the queue, we go past the sign, and we walk into the changing room. Well, what's in the changing room? Well, on one side of this divine changing room, there are racks of brand new clothes. Bright holy, purifying clothes. On the other side is one mother of a bin. There is a huge bin with a chute that is going to kick these bad boys out. And so this is the divine change room. And as we walk into the divine change room, we see those two things very clearly. Very clearly. The, good, the good clothes and the bin. Now, what do we do then? Well, Paul is saying as we arrive in, listen, here's what we're going to do. First thing you've got to do is those clothes that you've got on now and the clothes that you've got in your arms, the ones that you've been wearing for years, get them off. They've got to go. What do you mean get them off? I don't want to get them off. They're nice. They're comfy. I've had them on for years. They're my clothes. They're who I am. No, nah, they're not who you are. They're who you used to be. So get them off and stick them in that bin. Well, I don't want to because they're comfy. Well, they're your old ways. They're your old clothes. They're the world's ways. So get them off and stick them in the bin. Now, you would think that this should be quite easy because we love Jesus. And so we want to be like Jesus and we love Jesus. And so you would think when he says, listen, those old clothes, they're the world's clothes. They're against Jesus. So get them off, put them in the bin. That we would just say, sure thing. We can do that. It's actually really hard, isn't it? There's things, there's, there's parts of our attire, parts of our wardrobe that we actually, we actually quite like. And we actually quite want to keep. In different times, my, my wife goes into my wardrobe and she says, you don't need this. Look at this blue sweater. You haven't worn that for years. And she goes to put it in the bin. And I have to do like a mayday and rescue that jumper and put it back on the shelf because you never know when it might come in handy. And even though I haven't worn it for 18 years, that's not the point. It's very comfy because I don't want to give it up. It's my clothing. And we all have a piece of clothing like it, don't we? We all do. I remember my, my mum and dad, they had matching shell suits. Absolutely horrendous. And you tried to get rid of them. And no, we've got to have them. You never know when they might come in useful. I pray they will never come in useful again. Apart from fancy dress. It takes time to take off our clothes and bin them. But by God's grace, that's what we're called to do. And even though we think it's easy, often it's not. And the reason why it's not is because our indwelling sin, it deceives us. It deceives us into thinking, you know what? I'm not sin. 
I'm you. I'm a good guy. And so others come and say, listen, do you think that could be sin in your life? Because it, it looks like you're wearing the pink shell suit. And you say, no, this isn't a pink shell suit. This is who I am. This is the type of guy I am. I just always speak like that. Really? Sin can deceive us into helping us think that that piece of clothing isn't even there. And sin can also deceive us, even when we do see it, into thinking that if I take that piece of clothing off and bin that, I'll have almost lost my identity. I won't even know who I am anymore. That's sin deceiving us and desiring us to see that we won't be comfy without it. We won't be able to manage without it. And Paul just looks that in the eye and says, listen, you've got to change. I don't know whether you got the show over here. It wasn't one of Britain's finest. But Trini and Susanna, did you ever have that? Oh, if you never had it, well, praise God, because it's horrendous. It's absolutely rubbish. Trini and Susanna are meant to be these clothing experts. And they come into, they basically pick on people that clearly need maybe a little bit of a makeover. And they, and they, they, they come in and they spend time with this lady or with this guy. And they basically give them a whole new wardrobe and give them this makeover to help them into a, a different person and so on and so forth. And one of the first things they do, which is always a, a moving scene but very, very funny, is they come in and they just basically get their wardrobes and they rip them apart and they put them all in bad bag, black bags and they throw all these different things away. They get rid of so many different things. And you can see people crying, grown men crying as they're, as they're throwing out the, the pink shell suit. But that's what Paul is telling us to do here. It might not be easy. And it might take tears. But those clothes you wear in stink. They're corrupt. They're deceitful. They've got to go. And part of change is understanding that, that we need to clear out our wardrobe. What else does Paul then recommend for us? Well, number three, he explains to us that change requires the renewing of the spirit of our minds. Verse 23, he says, And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. So we stand in the queue, we realize that this changing room is going to require effort. We, we stand in the cubicle and Paul says, right, we get those off because they're your world's clothes and they got to go. And then he says, right, while you're there, be renewed in the spirit of your minds. You see, Paul doesn't just say mind. He's not on about something academic here. He's not just saying, well, listen, you've got to think more. So be renewed in your thinking. He says, be renewed in the spirit of your thinking. And the two are quite different. You see, in order to change... We haven't just got to get our heads straight. In order to change, according to Paul, we need to get the spirits of our heads straight. Our philosophies, our reasonings, really the heart of our minds, we need to get straight, we need to get clear on. You see, for Paul, just to put off is not enough. And I think he knows that, because if we just put off and we don't change the spirit of our minds, we go rummaging through the bin bags and we start sticking them back on again. But when we start understanding in the spirit of our minds what those clothes are, how hideous they are, how grieving they are to the Lord, how grieving they are to those around us, and when we spend time in the renewing of our minds wondering and marveling again who Jesus is, how great he is, how incredible God is, and how gloriously he cares for us in his love and majesty, when we're renewed in the spirits of our minds, that changes things. Because we don't want to wear those clothes anymore. 
And we don't want to displease the Lord anymore. We want to be different. Not just because of academia, but because we feel it. Out of love for the Lord, we want to change. You know, that's one of the main reasons why Paul in Ephesians 1 and in Ephesians 3 prays for them. When you stop and consider it, he is praying for the spirit of their minds, the spirits of our minds. In chapter 1, he prays that we would understand the hope to which God has called us, that we would grasp the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, that we would grasp that we really are his treasured possession, that we would comprehend the greatness of his power. And then in chapter 3, he takes the time to say, Lord, please, by your grace, overwhelm them with your love. Help them to see how high it is and how wide it is and how deep it is and how long it is. Paul wants them to get it. He wants them to get it not only in heads, but in hearts. He wants them to understand by the grace of God who they are, who God is, and how stinking their clothes are. See, the reality is when we have a perspective change, when the spirits of our minds are renewed, it changes everything. It changes absolutely everything. It changes the way we think about our clothes. It changes the way we consider about our lives. It changes the way we consider about God. And no longer do we just then stand in the changing room and think, oh, all I want is my clothes back. I think, praise God, they've gone. But whatever was I doing wearing them? I've got new ones now. And as I live for the Lord, I want to put these new ones on my life as I seek to reflect Jesus ever increasingly in our communities and in the towns in which he's given us to serve in. Now, that's why we must be people of the word, fundamentally. That's why we have to be a people who dwell and meditate on God's word, because that's how our minds are renewed. Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its life does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Folks, if we want to change, it's going to take more than putting off. It's going to take the renewing of the spirit of our minds, and that's going to take being people of his word. And it's when we do that, The psalmist tells us that it's when we do that, when we become people of his word, that we're like a tree that bears fruit, that prospers, that is durable, that is stable. You know what else is probably true of that tree? It's a tree that changes because in all that he does, he prospers. He's becoming more and more like Jesus. Change involves just not only putting off, It involves the renewing of the spirits of our minds. Number four, then. Change requires the putting on of our new self. Verse 24. He says, And to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So let me get this straight. We stand in the queue. We check out the sign. All those who attend... It is going to require effort. Okay, I'm in. So we go in. Paul's there. Dude, take off your clothes. They stink. Okay, so we take off our clothes. Where do we put them? In the bin. You ain't getting those bad boys back out. So we put them in the bin. While we're standing there, we need to renew our minds, the spirits of our minds, understanding 
how much our clothes stink, understanding who God is, what our lives are really about. And then he says, then you reach over to these new clothes, clothes that God has provided for you. They're already there. If you're a Christian, they're already there. They're ragged up. You've got to start taking them off and you've got to start putting them on. You've got to start clothing yourself in them. In the verses that follow, Paul is very specific about that. He says, listen, for you as a Christian, you've got to stop lying. Put it off. He didn't just stop there, though. He says, oh, and put on truthfulness. So, look, that piece of clothing stinks. It's lying. Okay, get rid of it. Now clothe yourself in truthfulness. He tells us to put off anger and to clothe ourselves with self-control. He tells us to put off stealing and then clothe ourselves with honest labor and generosity. To Paul, it is vital that we not only put off, but that we also put on. J. Adams says it this way. He says, putting off and putting on are two factors that must always be present in order to affect genuine change. Putting off will not be permanent without putting on. It's true. You know, when we don't put on, we're just standing in the changing room naked. That's not advisable. We've got to put on. We've got to actually take it off and then put something on. Something has got to go on to our lives. So how do we do this? Well, here's how we do it more than anything. We, we do it with one decision at a time. One thing at a time. You see, I think we can be overwhelmed sometimes when we're honest. And sometimes we don't want to go in the changing room because we're going to realize how many clothes we've got to take off and how many new ones we've got to put on. And you think, oh no, please don't make me go in there. Well, here's the first thing you need to realize. When you get in there, we have a God who is already in there. And he's patient, and he's long-suffering, and he's gracious. And he doesn't just say, okay, well, do it all yourself. He says, you know what? Let me give you a hand with that one, because that's been on a while. So, Lord, I need to put off lying. All right, I know. Let me give you a hand with it off, and look, let's put it over here. And now let's get truthfulness, and let me help you with this, and put this on. But, Lord, what about all my other clothes? Because they all stink. Well, let's start with this one first. God is very gracious and very patient and very long-suffering. And so how do we do this? Well, we do it one thing, more than, one thing at a time, knowing that God will never give us more than we can handle. He's gracious and very patient with us. And that really leads us on to the final point, number five. Change takes time. See, I think one of the greatest failings for me as a dad I think it's just at different times with the children, I've just been so impatient with them within the context of their change. And so uh, there's different times that you'll say to Emma, you know, Josh is, he's eight now, love. I've told him this before. I told him this last week. Look at him, he's still doing it. Or, you know, I'm sure I mentioned to Lydia just half an hour ago that that is not appropriate. Why is she still doing it? You ever been tempted to do that as a dad or as a mum? Well, praise God, God doesn't do that with us. God doesn't turn around and say, well, I told you to do that or not to do that. Look, you're still doing it. Change takes time. God needs to tell me more than once, I'm afraid. He needs to tell me a time again and again and again. I think for his fathers and his mothers, we need to be patient with our kids. Aware that change takes time. And then we need to be patient with ourselves within the context of sanctification because it takes time. Jay Adams 
It says, too many Christians give up. They want change too soon. What they seem to want is change without the daily struggle. Sometimes they give up when they are on the very threshold of success. They stop before receiving it. It usually takes at least three weeks of proper daily effort for one to feel comfortable in performing a new practice. And it takes about three more weeks to make that practice a part of oneself. Yet, many Christians do not continue even for three days. If they do not receive instant success, they get discouraged. They want what they want right now. And if they don't get it, they quit. You ever been tempted to do that? You think, Lord, I've been in this changing room like an hour now. It's been a long time. And I'm trying. But I'm not seemingly to get it. So I'm out. I'm leaving the changing room. Stuff it. It's not helping. You know what that is? It's not only lack of perseverance. It's lack of patience. Change takes time. We have to spend time in that room and stay in that room and be committed to that room and be committed to change and cry out to God for grace. You see, for you as a Christian, you want to know how long you're going to be in that changing room for? Until you die. You're going to be in there a while. We're all going to be in there a while. And that's part of what it is to be a Christian, to change to play our part in the process of sanctification so that we can reflect Jesus Christ ever increasingly in our homes, to our families, to our communities for the glory of God. That's in part what we're called to do. So how do we do it? Well, we realize it's a process. We put off. We're renewed in our minds. We put on and we just keep doing it all again. Being aware it takes time. Listen, our old clothes are the world's clothes. And so let's be putting on the new. If as a local church we look just like the world, there is something radically wrong because it shouldn't look like that. People should instantly interact with us and be aware. You guys aren't perfect, starting with your pastor, but you are different. You're different. There's something about you and the way you live that, that is different. They should see different. Our old clothes, the world's clothes. So let's be putting on the new. So two questions for you that I want you to chat about in your life groups, chat about in your fellowship groups, wherever you can. And there's number one, how's the regular ongoing renewal of your mind going? How's the regular ongoing renewal of your mind going? You see that word there where Paul says renewing of the mind? That's in the present infinitive case. We don't have them in English, but they do have them in Greek. And what they mean is it's not just ongoing, but it's ongoing and ongoing and ongoing and ongoing and ongoing. It's just going to have to keep going. You don't just come into the room and bingo, oh, my mind is renewed. No, this is a process that you're going to have to apply yourselves to. The only way to do that is to sit under this word, to read it, to ingest it to meditate on it day and night, to give ourselves to this word for the renewing of our minds that we may, that we may grasp all the more who God is, how his grace functions in our lives, who we are. We need to be men and women of the word. So let me ask you, how is your regular ongoing renewal of your mind going? Jerry Bridges says, Some friends of mine practice a no Bible, no breakfast dis- discipline. Some read at night. Some spend time with God at other opportune times in the day. 
But I know of no one who has a deep spiritual walk who does not spend time daily with God in his word. The time may change, but the practice is indispensable. I agree with that. The time may change, but more often than not, as a pastor, when people come to me and they say, man, I just feel so dry, I just feel out of it. Okay, question one, how's your Bible reading going? Oh, I haven't read it for months. Well, looks like it was a short appointment. You know, it's, it's Christianity at root level is quite basic. Do you read your Bible? Do you pray? Do you worship? No, no, no. We're done. We've got to give ourselves to praying. We've got to give ourselves to worship. But we've got to give ourselves to the Bible and allow this to function in our minds by the renewing of your mind. So ask at Life Group this week, how's it going? How you doing? And if you put your hand up and say, to be honest, I haven't done it for months. Well, God bless you for humbly sharing that. Let's pray with you and let's ask you how you're going to bring about that change because you need to change because that's how we're going to move forward. And number two, what's one piece of clothing that God is putting his finger on in your life for change? What's one piece of clothing that God is putting his finger on in your life for change? God is patient, God is gracious, but hey, let's make a start. So what's one thing? It may be something that you've already thought about, something that assures you sitting here and you think, oh gosh, he's talking about change, and you think, oh no, because instantly you get a certain part of your life. That's probably the one. That's probably the one the Holy Spirit's putting his finger on for change. Maybe you think, you know what, I just don't know how to change. Or, I don't know what to change in. You know, I, I don't, don't know. I think I'm, well, unless you're Jesus, there will be things. And if you think, honestly, I can't think of anything, no problem. Rock up to your life group next week and say, hey, guys, I, I've got a bit of an issue. I think I'm probably Jesus. Could you help me see some sin in my life? They'll help you. They'll oblige. If you still live at home, ask your mum and dad. Ask your brothers and sisters. Ask friends. You know, if there's one thing that you think I should change in, what would it be? It takes humility, but it could also be very helpful. So what's one thing? And by God's grace then, let's be a church that attends the divine changing room. Let's take things off. Let's put things on. And as we do then, would we ever increasingly be glory to our Lord and Savior. Amen? Let's pray. And if I could have the band up, that'd be great. Well, Lord, I thank you that your word is so kind and so patient and so gracious with us. Oh, Lord, I pray for all of us that we wouldn't go away from today in any way condemned. We would just go away encouraged and convicted with fresh zeal for change. Lord, I thank you that you love us enough to not leave us where we are. You love us enough not just to let us live our lives with our old clothes on, but you love us enough to see us change and be committed to that end. Lord, you are doing a great sanctifying work in our lives. And so, Lord, in obedience and grace, would we cooperate with you? Would we realize that it's going to require our, our effort too? But, Lord, as we apply that effort, would we see change? And would we be able to testify as we view each other's lives of evidences of grace? Evidence of your gospel work transforming our lives. Jesus, we want to be like you. I want to be like you. We want to be like you. So help us change by your amazing grace, Lord. Amen.